How many of y'all, it's been a blessing to you this week? I hope so. Uh, I hope it's been good for you. Hopefully you've gotten revived. Remember that person that you stared at across the aisle and said, boy, they need revival. Hopefully they got revived. Hopefully somebody got revived this week. But it has been good, and I'm grateful for the songs that we've had, for the worship, for the good fellowship we've had as well. Uh, so tonight I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer, and then we'll stand to our feet, and we'll, we'll sing a couple songs. We'll have a special, and uh, for one more time, then Brother Taylor will come and, and, uh, and lay it on us. And so uh, he's going to preach until all y'all get revived tonight. So uh, do what you got to do to get there. No, no, but I am grateful for him. And be praying for him. Just want to remind you as well, uh, we'll be traveling back first thing in the morning. Uh, I'll be taking him down to Charlotte Airport, and uh, he'll be hitching a ride and uh, flying back. So be praying uh, for uh, travel and everything as well. But uh, we were grateful to certainly have him and looking forward to this, this final night uh, as well with him. But uh, let's pray tonight and ask for the Lord to, to help us, to meet with us, and uh, then we'll worship the Lord. God, we come to you this night. We just want to thank you for this week that we've gotten to have to take time and, and set aside, Lord, to hear your word preached uh, faithfully each night from, from the Scripture and through the power of your spirit, Lord, we thank you for the work that it is able to do. God, there's nothing more powerful than your word, nothing more powerful than your spirit that goes forth and, and draws sinners to repentance and encourages the saints and teaches us the truth of your word and applies it to our heart. We pray, God, that you would uh, open up our eyes tonight so that we might see Christ, open up our ears so we might hear what he has to say, and Lord, that you would open up and soften our hearts, Lord, so that we might believe him and that we might have the truth applied so that we would not just be challenged, but we'd be changed, and Lord, that we would have real revival we be truly restored, Lord, renewed, and God, so that we might be used of you once more. Give us unity in the church. Give us strength and direction, Lord. Give us revival for the future so that not just we would be revived and get to hold all this blessing, but God, so that you'd pour us out in this community to see the gospel go forth. Help us to, to send forth laborers and, and missionaries, and, and, and Lord, for us to, to be missionaries in our own town, God. And we pray, uh, we just pray that you would bless our brother as he's come this week, and and Lord, keep, keep him safe as he travels back tomorrow. We pray that you would bless him and his ministry there at, the, at his new church where he's serving. God, we pray that you would encourage him, strengthen them, use them there as well, God, for the future. And, and Lord, that they would see uh, great fruit for their labor. And Lord, we just want to thank you for this week that we could gather and we could hear your word, Lord. There's nothing more sweet than being in your presence and, and meeting with you and you with us. So Lord, I pray that you would bless this time tonight. And God, that all that would be said and done would bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening. If you're able, please stand. Turn to hymn number 353. 353. We have victory in Jesus. God giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. We'll sing all three verses. Don't forget our sold and praise God deal toward the end, okay? Don't forget that. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groan of his precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sins And won the whole victory In Jesus, my Savior forever He sought me and bought me 
soul with his redeeming blood. Praise God. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see and then I cried dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory oh victory in Jesus my Savior forever he sought me and bought me so with his redeeming blood praise God he loved me ere I knew him and all my love me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory, and I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing And the old redemption story And some sweet day I'll sing up there The song of victory I'll make you shout Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me bought me so with his redeeming blood praise God he loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him he plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood amen that ought to encourage all our hearts it did mine kind of lifted me up a little bit amen Grace greater than our sin, 344, 344, grace greater than our sin. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, Romans 5, 20, and we'll sing all four verses. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that Seeds our sin and our guilt yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled grace grace God's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse with Grace, grace, 
for me like Jesus and I can really say that from the bottom of my heart casting all your care upon him for he careth for you 1 Peter 5 7 and God cares for me he has showed me over the years how he can take care of me a whole lot better than I can take care of myself amen I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus Since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely He did something that no other friend could do No one ever cared for me 
Like Jesus, there's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me and he led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand the words of love. But I'll never know just why he came to save me Till someday I see his blessed face above No one ever cared for me like Jesus There's no other friend so kind as he no one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Testimony. No one's ever cared for you like Jesus. We love him because he first loved us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 tonight. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and we're going to end this thing where we started it in the book of 2 Timothy. And boy, it's been a good week, hasn't it? And I appreciate your faithfulness this week, and I know not everybody can make every service, uh, but I appreciate you being here and uh, just uh, letting me to come and spend a few days with you. And I have enjoyed myself. I've enjoyed the services. I've enjoyed the fellowship. I've enjoyed uh, time with Pastor and Miss Cammie. So thank you for allowing me to be here uh, with you this week. And trust that this week has been a help to you. And we've heard some, uh, not, not good preaching, but we've heard some good truths this week, haven't we? And uh, we've uh, just been all over the place. And so if you missed any messages this week, I do encourage you to go back to the Facebook live stream and uh, watch those or listen to those again. Uh, not that it was good preaching, but they were good pr uh, truths that we all uh, needed to hear. And we dealt with revival in the home. We dealt with revival in the heart. And we dealt with revival in the head, with the mind last night, talking about anxiety. And then tonight, we're going to leave you with one uh, to help you go forward in the days ahead. 
And so thank you for your kindness this week. Thank you for your uh, sacrificial giving this week. And I want you to know uh, that your giving is just an investment that helps us to keep on going forward to telling folks about Jesus and uh, preaching the gospel. And so I'm excited for you. Days, days ahead. Uh, thankful that uh, I was thrilled uh, when I saw the announcements. Some, I guess, two, in, two years, a year and a half ago now, uh, when the Lord led uh, the uh, brother Joe Bryant's here uh, to help uh, shepherd the church here, and I was thrilled for that. I'm excited for that. And uh, this is this church has had wonderful history. You've had good days behind you, uh, but I do not believe that the greatest days are behind you. I believe the greatest days are ahead of you. Amen. And so I want to encourage you. You just keep going forward, and you keep being faithful. You love the Lord. You love His Word. Uh, you continue to uh, maintain a spirit of unity in this place. And you keep on following the Lord in the days ahead. And uh, Hillsville needs a church that's on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know your city like you know your city, but I believe there's enough dead churches. There's enough dead churches around here. Amen. And we need a church that's passionate for the Lord and a passionate for souls and a passion for the Word of God. And uh, you don't have to advertise the fire, do you? <laughs> If there's a fire, everybody knows it, and you just keep cultivating a fire in this place, and God will spread the word and continue to bring folks to join you in the days ahead. Well, as we said on Monday night, I'll say again, the book of 2 Timothy is a letter written from an old preacher to a young preacher, and the old preacher was the apostle Paul, and the young preacher was Timothy. In chapter 4, Paul reminds Timothy that he's in the final days of his life, and he says, my departure is at hand, and it won't be long to Timothy, before my head is chopped off, and I'm going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to be with Jesus in eternity. And there in chapter 4, as Paul looks back and surveys his life and his ministry, he says, By the grace of God, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, I have fought a good fight. In essence, he was able to say, By the grace of God, I have done everything that God has wanted me to do. And by the way, that's the goal for every believer. It's the goal for every Christian. Christian man, every Christian woman, every every Christian teenager, that when you get to the end of your life, you want to be able to say, by the grace of God, I've done everything that God has wanted me to do. I've left behind no unfinished business. And listen to me, when Jesus went to heaven after he died on the cross and was resurrected, there were still sick folks, there were still blind folks, uh, there were still lame folks. But when Jesus went to heaven, he had done everything God wanted him to do. Listen to me, you can't do everything in this life, but you better make sure that you've done everything that God wants you to do in this life. And so he surveys his life and says, I've done everything that God has wanted me to do. And uh, then he tells Timothy, Timothy... Make full proof of thy ministry. Make full proof of thy ministry. In essence, he's saying, Timothy, you better make sure that you do everything God wants you to do as well. Timothy, my heart's desire, my prayer, is that when you get to where I am, when you get to the finish line, I want you to be able to say along with me that you've done everything that God has wanted you to do. And can I say tonight, if you want to die like Paul, you've got to live like Paul. And he writes this young preacher who was struggling, who was timid, uh, who was fearful, uh, who was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, this young preacher who was struggling, and he writes the letter, 2 Timothy, and uh, the essence of the letter is this, Timothy, be faithful. Mama, be faithful. Daddy, be faithful. 
Grandma, Grandpa, I know you're in the fourth quarter. I know you're in the sunset of your life. But just be faithful even in the face of hardship. Well, how many would agree that uh, living for the Lord today, uh, sometimes you're tempted to give up? Sometimes you're tempted to throw in the towel. Sometimes you're tempted to just go along with everybody else and the rest of the world. Uh, but the message of 2 Timothy is not just the preachers. It is to every Christian. Just be faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1 tonight. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, and here's what God says to you and I. He says, Thou therefore, my son, that's not his physical son, that was his spiritual son. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman, the farmer, that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Father, we need you tonight. And Lord, in this revival service, we do not come to hear from the preacher. Uh, we do not come to see uh, whether he had a good delivery, whether he was exciting, whether he was passionate, uh, whether he was loud or soft-spoken. Uh, we do not come for that. Lord, we come to hear your word tonight because it is your word that revives our hearts and lives and our relationship with you. And Lord, since Monday night, we have preached biblical messages. And I have tried my dead level best to take the Bible and point people to Jesus. And so, Lord, one more time, I want to do that. And so, Lord, would you help us? My prayer tonight is that we would set aside all the distractions, and uh, some of us are tempted to think this is the last message, uh, just about 30 more minutes, and we'll be done with this week, and, and we can get on with our lives, uh, but Lord, you're not done here tonight. Lord, there's still one more message. There's still more that you want to say to us. And so, Lord, tonight, I pray that we would set aside the distractions and on purpose listen and tune in and be ready to respond and do what you tell us to do. And, Lord, I pray tonight as I speak on the outside, you would speak on the inside. Give us what we need tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The event was the Olympic Games. The country was Mexico. The year was 1968. The marathon was the final event of the program. The Olympic Stadium was packed and there was excitement as the first athlete and Ethiopian runner entered into the stadium. The crowd erupts as he crosses the finish line. Way back in the field was another runner, John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania. He had been eclipsed by the other runners, and after 18 and a half miles, his head began throbbing, his muscles were aching, and he fell to the ground. He had a serious leg injury, and the officials encouraged him to retire, but he refused. With his knee bandaged, Akwari picked himself up and hobbled the remaining seven and a half miles to the finish line. An hour and a after the winner had finished, Akwari entered the stadium. All but a few thousand of the crowd had gone home. Akwari moved around the track at a painstakingly slow pace until finally he collapsed over the finish line. Afterwards, he was asked by a reporter why he had not dropped out. Akwari said, my country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish. Just like Akwari, Timothy is hobbling along. Timothy's weak. 
Timothy's struggling. Timothy is tempted uh, to throw in the towel. And Paul knows that unless Timothy learns to endure, he will not finish the race. Can I say as Christians, God did not call us to start the race. He's called us to finish the race. Let me make it more personal. God did not call you to start the race. He's called you to finish the race. And tonight, if you and I are going to make it to the finish line, if we're going to cross the finish line, if we're going to do everything that God has called us to do, we're going to have to be faithful. And when you and I come to 2 Timothy chapter 2 tonight, here's what we find in the text. This is what Paul tells Timothy. And this is what God says to you and I. And the point is this. Faithfulness requires endurance. You say, preacher, how can we persevere as faithful Christians and continue carrying out the mission of making disciples amid an ever-discouraging and a hostile culture? By obeying 2 Timothy chapter 2. Tonight I want to preach on this subject and leave you as the final message. I'm going to close out the meeting with this thought. Enduring difficult days. Enduring difficult days. You say, preacher, how can I endure? How can I be faithful? How can I make it to the finish line and live in the Christian life. Number one, from 2 Timothy chapter 2, we discover three ways to endure a difficult days. Number one, from verse number one, God tells us this. The apostle says, if you're going to endure difficult days and make it to the finish line in your Christian life, first of all, you must lean on Jesus. You must lean on on Jesus. Notice verse number one again. Thou therefore my son. That word therefore points back to the previous chapter. In fact, growing up, my pastor, he was a, a tall, just southern a gentleman. His name was Charles Payne. And he was like a Billy Graham type of an individual. He was just tall and kind of hunched over a little bit. And just the way that he talked and carried himself was just an Adrian Rogers, a Billy Graham type of an individual. And oftentimes when he would preach, when he'd get ready to make a point, he'd always make this statement. He said, now I've said all that to say this. I've said all that to say this. And when you find the Apostle Paul using the word therefore, he's saying, I've said all that to say this. The point that I'm about to make is based on everything that I just said. Everybody with me tonight? You say, well, what did he just say? Well, at the end of chapter number 1, he talks about a man by the name of Onesiphorus. And Onesiphorus was a faithful friend. But he also lists the names of two other individuals that you and I are not real familiar with. They're the names of, uh, of, of uh, let me go back and read it, Hermogenes and Phygelus. And the whole point of the last few verses of chapter 1 is that Onesiphorus was a faithful friend but Hermogenes and Phygelus were unfaithful friends. And so here in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to be like Onesiphorus. I do not want you to be like Hermogenes and Phygelus. And so if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to be loyal, if you're going to be courageous, then notice he says in chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ." Jesus. He says, Timothy, you're weak. Not as an insult, but just as the reality. Timothy, you're weak. 
Timothy, you know that your besetting sin is timidity and worry and anxiety. You're tempted to be ashamed of the Lord. You're tempted to be ashamed of me. That's what he says in verse number 8 of chapter 1. He says, Timothy, you inherently are a weak individual. And if you're going to make it, you're going to need strength outside of yourself. And the good news is, Timothy, because of your salvation, because of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can draw strength from him so that you might be strong so you can endure. He says, be strong in the grace, in the grace, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's two types of grace in the Bible. Number one is salvation grace. For by grace, three is saved through faith. Uh, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. You say, oh, don't I have to do something? No. Don't I got to like contribute to it? No. Don't I have to put a little bit in? No. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It is all by grace. That's what the Bible says. And uh, that's salvation grace. Grace is unmerited. It's unearned. It's undeserved. In fact, I was in Houston two and a half weeks, I guess the week before last, preaching revival down there. And at the end of that meeting, a man walked up to me and put a $100 bill into my hand and said, here, take, uh, take, uh, take your wife out on a date when you get back home. And I said, yes, sir, I'll do that. And uh, that was kind of him. In fact, we would say that was gracious of him. I did not deserve that. I did not earn that. I did not, uh, I did not work for that. Out of the kindness of his heart, he walked over and put some money in my hand. That's gracious. Can I say salvation grace is on a whole nother level than that. It's more than just being God being kind to us. It would be a little bit closer to this idea. If I walked over to that man and slapped in his face and spit in his face, took a tire iron to his windows out in the parking lot and slashed all four of his tires, and after all of that, he still came back and said, Brother Taylor, I want you to know, brother, I love you. I forgive you for all of that. In fact, I don't just forgive you. I want to be good to you. I want to bless you. Now, here is a $100 bill. Now, that would be a little bit closer to the idea of grace in the Bible, amen? But, of course, salvation is on a whole infinite level that we can't even hardly comprehend or wrap our minds around. That is salvation grace. But when Paul talks about grace here in verse number 1, he's not talking about salvation grace. He's talking about Christian living grace. You say, what do you mean? The grace he's talking about in verse number 1 talks about enabling grace. It's empowering grace. And it's God enabling us to do what he has called us to do. And boy, how many has heard somebody maybe say it in this, uh, this context? They went through some trial or some uh, just a, a difficult circumstance in their life. And when they came out on the other side, reflecting back on that time in their life, they say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would have never made it through there. By the grace of God, I was able to make it. What are they saying? By God's enabling strength, by God's enabling power, I was able to do that. I was able to get through that. I was able to not say what I wanted to say. Come on now. By God's grace. That's Christian living grace. And can I tell you, if you're saved, you have access to that. Because of your union with Jesus Christ, you have access to his strength. But watch it now. It's through our daily communion with Christ that we draw on that strength. Everybody with me? If I'm saved, I have access. 
But it's only through my daily communion and my time with the Lord that I draw on the strength. You say, practically, what does that look like? It looks like before I go to work in the morning, before you go to school in the morning, you get along with the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help today. Lord, I'm weak and you're strong. Lord, I know there's going to be some temptations out there waiting for me. Lord, I know the enemy has uh, placed some things in my path today to get me off track and to distract me and discourage me. And so, Lord, without your help today, I, I, I know I, I just cannot make it. I cannot please you. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Proud people don't ask for help. When you don't humble yourself and pray, you're saying, God, I don't need you today. I got this. I've been doing pretty good lately. But we do it, don't we? When you and I do not pray, we're saying, Lord, I don't need your help today. Lord, I've been married long enough. I know how to be a good husband. I know how to be a good wife. I already raised two kids. This third one, I got this, Lord. Come on now. But when you finally humble yourself and say, Lord, I need you, that's how you tap into the strength. You admit that you need it. You call upon Him for help. Hey, listen to me. Before you go off to work or school in the morning, you, you get alone in the Word of God and say, Lord, I'm, i got to face something today. i got to have a conversation today. i got to make a decision today. Lord, I don't know what to do. But there in your daily quiet time, God gives you a verse. And there's a phrase. And there's a word. And God speaks to you through His Word. Not audibly, obviously. But He gives you a verse that's just right on top for exactly what you need. What is that? That's drawing on the strength of Jesus. Everybody with me? As practical as I can make it. Timothy, if you're going to make it, you've got to lean on Jesus. Mama, if you're going to make it, lean on Jesus. Daddy, if you're going to make it, lean on Jesus. A pastor, if you're going to make it, you've got to lean on Jesus. Be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I'm weak. That's okay. He's not. Tap into the street. Number one, if you and I are going to endure difficult days like we're living in, we must lean on Jesus. Number two, not only must we lean on Jesus, but number two, we must stay on mission. If we're going to endure difficult days, we must stay on mission. Notice chapter 2, verse 2. And you're familiar with this verse. We hear it all the time. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In verse 2, Paul tells Timothy to continue passing on the truth to faithful men. One man summarized it by saying it this way. He said the idea of verse 2 is that of a teacher teaching a teacher, who in turn teaches other teachers, who then teach still other teachers. Although Paul mentions only four generations of teachers, the idea is that of a continuing process. William Barclay, I love to read him. He says the teacher is the link in the living chain which stretches unbroken from this present moment back to Jesus Christ. In other words, in every generation, God has raised up new links in this living chain of faithful men to pass on the good news of Jesus Christ to the people of their day. One man said it this way. He said, think about it. Paul's message went from a hole in the ground in Rome to where I am writing from in North Carolina, that commentator, roughly 2,000 years later. How did it happen? Simple. Faithful men practiced 2 Timothy 2.2. They did not let the gospel die with them. You know what God is saying? He's saying just be a link in the chain. 
I found out when I began traveling as an evangelist for the past eight, ten years now, uh, when I began to travel and got the opportunities to preach in churches or revival meetings or teen camps or, or special Sundays or youth rallies, wherever it was, and there were lost people present, and the Lord put on my heart to preach the gospel, and when the invitation was given, folks would get up out of their seats and walk them the aisle, and they would come to be saved. I found out real quick I was just the last link in a long chain of people that God had used to bring that person to Jesus. Listen to me, long before I ever rolled into town, someone had invited them, someone had prayed for them, someone had shared the gospel with them, someone had been uh, sowing the seed. Come on now. And on those particular Sundays or whatever day it was, I just happened to be the last chain, or the last link, where God brought, uh, culminated the whole thing and brought it all together. Hey, sometimes we're the first chain, the link. Sometimes we're the, the, the final link, and that's exciting. But most of the time, we're just somewhere in the middle. Can I encourage you? Just be a link in the chain. Since we became pastor two months ago, whatever, a month and a half ago now, we've seen two people saved at our church, and I've had nothing to do with it. I like that. And uh, had a young family. In fact, they just joined. It's the Amos family. They just joined this past Sunday. And that was encouraging for our church. we got a small church, and so that was encouraging to see. And uh, about three weeks ago, he came to me and said, I think we're, we're ready to join the church. And we talked about that. And he said, oh, by the way, uh, my son, seven years old, he said this past Wednesday morning, uh, he got saved at the house. He invited Christ into his heart. And at seven years old, he got saved. You say, why? Because the mom and daddy were just being a link in the chain. They talked about the gospel. They had been attending our church in the summer, and they were waiting for us to get through the transition before they joined. But, 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 but back at home, mom and daddy were talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus, talking about the cross, talking about faith. Uh, about two weeks ago, Christine Brown, she's a grandmother. She brings her, uh, her, her granddaughter to church just about every Sunday. And she walked in through the, through the door. I was standing in the lobby. She had a giant smile on her face. And uh, she said, uh, you want to tell Pastor what happened? You want to tell Pastor what happened? And uh, there's six-year-old Kinsley. said, Pastor, I got saved this morning. And all summer long, Christine Brown's been sharing the gospel with her granddaughter. By the way, probably the only spiritual influence in that little girl's life at this point. And as a grandma, she started sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus, talking about the sacrifice, talking about Calvary, talking about faith, talking about, talking about sin. Come on now. And Christine Brown was just a link in the chain. Nikki and Craig Amos were just a link in the chain. Let me encourage you, be a link in the chain. Sometimes it means on, on a day-to-day -day level, uh, we're sharing the gospel. But on a bigger picture, listen to me, our generation has the responsibility to transmit and perpetuate and continue the truth to the next generation. That would be your church. And uh, can I say, it's not just the preacher's job to transmit the, church, the, the truth to the next generation. You ought to take some ownership in that. You ought to say, well, well I've lived in Hillsville for the past 65 years. Wonderful. But can I say, there's another generation of young people being raised up in Hillsville. Excuse me, there's families that still need to be reached. There's some young people that still need to hear the gospel. You go knock on some doors around here in this neighborhood, and I don't care if you think this is the Bible Belt, I don't care if this is Southern Virginia, I promise you, in this generation, there's some young people in this town. They don't know who Adam and Eve are. They don't know Daniel, Paul, Moses. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying, you've got a job to do. My church has a job to do. 
And we need to get busy. You, you, you want to endure these difficult days? Stay on mission. Stay on mission. You know why some of you are stale right now spiritually? You know why some of you are cold spiritually? Because you're not involved in the mission. See, the danger of what we do, at me, me and me, your preacher and those of you that teach Sunday school, those of you that serve here, the danger of us is that we always give out, give out, give out, but we never put in. That's the ministerial danger of our job. You give out, give out, give out, but you never put in, and eventually you're running on empty. But you know what the danger is as a church member? Is that you sit out there and you take in, take in, take in, but you never give out. And you turn into the Dead Sea. There was a time when some of you were involved in the mission, and man, you had a reason to get up out of bed in the morning. Man, you had a fire in your bones. Man, you had a, a, just, a, just an energy about you, a confidence and a boldness. Why? Because you're involved in the mission. Some of you need to get back in. It's time to quit sitting on the sidelines and get back in the game. It's time to stop being a spectator and get back in the mission. I'm not saying that to, to beat anybody up. Sometimes we need to say, wow, you're right. I don't witness like I used to. I'm not investing like I used to. My life has really become self, self-focused. It's all about self-interest. You say, you say how, how do you know if we had revival this week? Real simple. If at the end of tonight, you don't love God more and you don't love people more, I don't know what you had, but you didn't have revival. We may have had a good meeting, but I'm not sure we had revival. Everybody okay tonight? Number one, lean on Jesus. Number two, stay on mission. And then number three, if you're going to endure difficult days, you must cultivate endurance. You must cultivate endurance. Most of us do not come into the world with a lot of endurance built up naturally. We have to cultivate it, don't we? And same thing in the Christian life. Uh, Paul was dealing with a young man who was spiritually, emotionally uh, just weak, and if he was going to endure, he had to cultivate some endurance into his life. And so do we. And the rest of the, uh, the next couple of verses, uh, Paul gives three metaphors to show Timothy what endurance requires. You want to cultivate endurance? Number one, you need this. Be dedicated like a soldier. Uh, be dedicated like a soldier. Notice he goes on to say in verse number three, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier you say what's he saying he's saying timothy be willing to suffer and stay focused that's the message be willing to suffer and stay focused endure hardness endure heart you said doesn't sound fun you say them preachers on tv don't talk about that i know but this is the bible and God's Word said, if you're going to endure difficult days, then you need to endure suffering. In other words, you, you, need to, you need to expect suffering, you need to embrace suffering, and you need to learn to endure suffering like a good soldier. I know that's not popular. I know that's not fun to hear. I don't like it either. But if we're going to endure, we have to learn how to endure. You, the, 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 the quicker you come to the realization and accept the fact that the Christian life is going to require suffering, the better off you and I will be. 
Accept the fact that your coworkers may make fun of you. Accept the fact that your family members are going to criticize you for the way that you raise your kids. Accept it. Face the facts. Embrace it. Now, there's a lot of people who have suffered because they were uh, foolish. God's not talking about that. If you're suffering because of being crazy, then that's your own fault. Amen? Okay, we're not talking about that. And uh, we talked a little bit about that for the service. There's some preachers that they deserve what they get. Amen? Because uh, they're just nuts. He's not talking about that. He's saying, but if you follow Jesus Christ and uh, you, you stay on mission and you're sharing the gospel uh, and you're trying to live a life that reflects true biblical Christianity, you will, all they that live Christ Jesus it will suffer persecution. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And, uh, well, we've got to come to terms with that. If I live the way God wants me to live, I may get made fun of. I may, I may be the butt of the jokes at work. Uh, they may uh, exclude me. I may miss out. Come on now. Now, we call that suffering. No, people living in China trying to spread the gospel, that's suffering. It's an insult to talk about. Oh, I, when I say suffer, we're talking about people making fun of us or family. That's, that's nothing. Nothing compared to what real persecution and suffering uh, truly is. Be willing to suffer and stay focused. Notice that second phrase here in verse number, even verse number four. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. You say, a soldier. You say, okay, I'm thinking of a soldier. Uh, they step off the plane, and man, there's the family with the signs, and, and man, they run over and they hug them, and we watch those videos on Facebook, and we all sit there and cry, amen, and uh, those are great moments. We need more of those. Uh, that, that, ought, uh, that ought to happen more in our country, amen? It, this is not that kind of soldier. You say, when I think about soldiers, I'm thinking of ones that come home, and uh, uh, they're, they're in the parades downtown, everybody cheers for them. That's not this type of soldier. This is not a soldier that's come home from battle. This is a soldier that's on the battle. Come on now. They're on the battlefield. They're in the middle of a war. And the Bible says he's going to stay on mission. Therefore, he cannot get entangled or involved with the trivial civilian affairs around him. In other words, if he's going to stay on mission and do his job, he can't worry about the politics. He can't worry about the weather. He can't get caught up in this drama because he's on mission. He's on mission. He's on mission. Stay focused. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you focused? Are you focused in the Christian life? Some of you used to be, but somewhere along the line, you got distracted. You're not on mission anymore. When Paul wrote the Galatians, he did not say, he said, ye did run well. Who did hinder you? He didn't say what hindered you. He said, who did hinder you? They allowed people into their lives, and it got them off track. It got them distracted. Let me ask you a question. Who's distracted you? If you're going to endure difficult days, we've got to be dedicated like a soldier. I'm going to endure suffering. I'm going to expect it. I'm going to embrace it. And then I'm going to stay focused on the mission at hand. So why? I can please him who's enlisted me. As long as he's pleased, that's all that. By the way, if he's pleased, it doesn't matter who I displease. You know why some of you struggle to, to live for the Lord? Because you care more about what other people think than what he thinks. 
You say, that's your opinion. No, that's Bible. The Bible says the fear of man. That's being so concerned about what everybody else is going to think. You, the fear of man bringeth a snare. And some of you tonight are trapped and held hostage by the opinions of other people. But I'm telling you tonight... If you, if God would just let the shackles uh, unloose from our hands and feet and, and loose us from that, well, we could be uh, liberated to live for the Lord tonight, couldn't we? Held hostage by the opinion of other people. If you're going to cultivate endurance and endure difficult days, you must be dedicated like a soldier. But notice, too, he goes on to give a second metaphor. He goes on to say and says, we must be disciplined like an athlete. We must be disciplined like an athlete. He says in verse 5, And if a man also strive for masteries, or the gold medals, we would say today, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. If anybody that's familiar or has read the New Testament or the writings of Paul, you know that Paul was a sports fan. Okay, I'm not talking about... Redskins or Cowboys. I'm talking about uh, those old time, those Olympic style games. Uh, Paul would use those as metaphors and illustrations. Paul enjoyed sports. It shows up in his writings all the time. Well, here he obviously is alluding to those old Olympic style games. And uh, here's what he's saying. He's saying uh, in Paul's day to receive the evergreen wreath of the Greek games, the athlete must avoid unfair tactics. In other words, here's what he's saying. To be a winner, you must play by the rules. To be a winner, you must play by the rules. Well, about three weeks ago, there was a large fishing tournament up in Ohio on Lake Erie. And a big, large walleye fishing. I'm talking about big-time sponsors, big-time money. Uh, finally, it came time for the weigh-in. The tournament was coming to a close, and they were about to determine the winner. And the two men who were expected to win, uh, their names was Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky. There was almost 29000 worth of prize money uh, that they were about to acquire. They took the first fish out, and they put it on the scale, and when they saw the number, it didn't seem to add up. It looked to be about a four-pound walleye, but when they put it on the scale... It read eight pounds. They put the remaining five fish on the scale, and it ended up reading 35 pounds. All of a sudden, the fishermen standing in front of the scale on the platform, they begin to murmur. Finally, somebody said, cut open the fish. The official grabbed one of those walleye. He grabbed a fillet knife. He cut up right at the middle, and lead weights come rolling out of the gut of that fish. And uh, you go home tonight and Google, just put in cheating fishermen, it'll be the first story that comes up. For the past two weeks, it's gone viral. It's all over social media right now. And all of a sudden, it got heated at that point. They started shouting, and those men, there wasn't anything they did. They were caught red-handed. Listen to me. If you're going to be a winner, you've got to play by the rules. Let me tell you something. Amen. He's already seen it. And so listen to me. If, you, if you're going to be a winner, you've got to play uh, by the rules. And to, uh, God has given us a book that will govern, is to govern our lives. Am I right on that? God's given us a book that is to govern the way that we live. And so if you live your life taking shortcuts and cheating and living a, li a life of disobedience, you may make it to the finish line, but you may not be rewarded. To be a winner, you must play by the rules. Notice lastly, 
Not only must we be disciplined uh, like an athlete, not only must we be dedicated like a soldier, but lastly, number three, we must be diligent like a farmer. We must be diligent like a farmer. Notice that last verse in verse number six. The husbandman, the farmer that laboreth must first be, uh, be, uh, be first partakers of the fruits. Now, here the metaphor changes. If the, if the soldier comes back home, Boy, the whole town is there to greet him and to cheer him on. Amen? If the athlete finishes the, the finish line, uh, the whole stadium erupts and begins to cheer and clap for him. Am I right? Let me tell you about something about a farmer. When a farmer gets home after working in the fields all day, there's no one to cheer for him. There's nobody to applaud him. And so day in and day out, he's plowing, he's sowing, he's watering, He's keeping the weeds out. He's keeping the pest away. Day in and day out, he just diligently does his job. But at the end of the season, harvest time comes, and he gets the joy of being one of the first partakers of the fruit. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying if a farmer does not plow, he will not reap. If a farmer does not plow, he will not reap. It was Kevin Schertz and Mark Carlson every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. In the hot, blistering days, the dog days of summer, and in the, in the, in the cold, uh, freezing days of winter, every Sunday, they would get on the bus and they would drive to Southside and they'd pick up a little girl who oftentimes was sitting, uh, was waiting outside uh, on, the little, uh, on the little porch that was connected to the trailer, the mobile home that, they, uh, that she lived in. And the bus would pull up, and she'd run out there and get on the bus. And every Sunday morning, the bus, from the time she was 6 years old until she was 16 years old, she would ride that bus until she was able to finally drive herself. Every Sunday, Mark Carlson and Kevin Schertz would pick that little girl up and bring her to church. That little girl is now married to the pastor of White Drive Baptist Church. That little girl is my wife. And can I tell you, I can only imagine the joy, the joy that Mark Carlson, by the way, he sits right over here, and he dozes off every time I preach, but he's there. <laughs> Brother Kevin Schertz, he leads my music every service. He's just kind of a fill-in song director every time. Every, every service, they're there. They're there. And I can only imagine the feeling inside of their hearts and the joy that they experience. I can only imagine the Sunday school teachers that are there who, who taught my wife when she was a little girl to know that, wow, we sowed. And now we get to reap. That's not about us. That's not about my wife. That's about those faithful men and women in that church who sowed, who plowed, who watered, who planted, who invested, who taught, who prayed, who witnessed, now they get to reap the harvest. See, the Christian life, it, it's at times strenuous. It at times requires suffering. It at times requires sacrifice. But listen to me, the Christian life also includes great satisfaction as well. And sometimes the satisfaction doesn't come to the end. If a farmer's going to reap, if a farmer does not plow, he will not reap. Verse 7, and I'm done tonight. Verse 7 says, consider what I say. In other words, he says, don't just, don't just glaze over this. 
Don't just let this go in one ear and out the other. Consider what I say. Consider what I just wrote to you. Consider the past six verses, Timothy, and consider how they apply to your life. In verse 7, Paul tells Timothy to think over and carefully ponder what he just wrote, meaning look at your own life and ask yourself, are you leaning on the Lord for strength? Are you staying on mission? Are you cultivating endurance in your day-to-day Christian life? If the answer is yes, you will be led with wisdom and insight through the challenges to victory. You can endure difficult days. Listen to me, friend. God did not call you to just start the race. He called you to finish the race. And if you're going to finish, you've got to be faithful. And if you're going to be faithful, we have to endure. Enduring difficult days. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's the word that feeds us. It's the word that strengthens us. It's the word that teaches us. Lord, we can be faithful. In essence, that was the message that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, son, you can be faithful. I know it's hard. I know you're tempted to give up. I know that you feel inadequate and insufficient. But you can serve God. Mama, can I tell you, you can be faithful. Daddy, I know you may be discouraged, but you can be faithful. Grandma and Grandpa, I know that you've been at it a long time. But you can be faithful. How many tonight would say, Brother Taylor, would you pray for me? I'm living in some difficult days. But I want to make it to the finish line. And if I'm going to make it to the finish line, I've got to learn to endure these difficult days. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Preacher, that's me. In fact, my hand is uplifted with you tonight as a pastor, as a Christian, as a husband, as a daddy. I want to be faithful to the finish line. When I get to the end, I want to look back and say, by the grace of God, I did everything God wanted me to do. I have finished my course. Well, maybe there's somebody here tonight. You say, preacher, I believe God has a plan for me. I want to be faithful to him. But I've not even started the race yet. Can I say the way that you get into the race is by beginning a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We said salvation is by grace, meaning you don't deserve it and you don't. But even though you don't deserve it, Jesus still offers it to you. The Bible calls it a free gift. Gift. And tonight he extends the gift of salvation to you. You say, what does it mean to be saved? It means that he is willing to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. He will give you eternal life. He'll come into your heart and life and give you peace and the power and purpose for living that you long for. That's salvation. He'll do it tonight. But you have to open up your heart like the front door of your house and invite him in. You say, preacher, I've never done that before. Preacher, I'm not sure if I were to die right now that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus. Preacher, I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you lift up your hand? I want to pray for you. Preacher, I don't know. Preacher, I don't know. 
Father, would you bless this invitation tonight? Lord, may you raise up some mamas and daddies, some men and some women, and some teenagers who would endure difficult days. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet tonight. And as the piano begins to play...